There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. You are gods. Jesus said that in John chapter 10, verse 34. But what did he mean? I know many New Agers and yoga advocates use this passage to deify all human beings, to confer a divine nature on every man and every woman. And they legitimize it by referring to something Jesus said. Some sincere born-again believers boldly claim a godlike status even now in our present earthly state by means of these verses. Is that a legitimate interpretation of Jesus' words, or is it heretical as some claim? This is a very controversial passage, but easily understood when we go back to the original Hebrew. Now, let's lay the foundation in a very good way right now by quoting the very context in which that statement is made. I'm going to start with verse 32 and quote all the way through to verse 38. And this is in the New King James Version. In the scripture, it begins where Jesus is responding to those who refute his claim to being the Messiah, to being the Son of God. And listen to what he says. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? They were threatening him that day. Verse 33, The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now here's the pivotal verse. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So, we have the basis of this whole concept. Who were these individuals Jesus referred to as gods? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to go back to Psalm 82. That's the reference in Psalm 82, verses 1 through 3. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, defend the poor and fatherless and do justice to the afflicted and needy. And then in verse 6 and 7, these words are found, 
I said you are gods, but you shall die like men. So actually, in the original context in Psalm 82, this is a rebuke to the judges of Israel because they were taking bribes, because they were dealing with people unjustly, probably because they were jostling for political influence or position. Who knows what the reasons for the corruption among the judges was, but that passage of Scripture clearly is saying two things. It begins in verse 1 with, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Why is that a reference to judges in Israel? We've got to go back further in Scripture to discover where that is verified. Go with me right now back to Exodus chapter 21. In verse 6 of that chapter, and also in Exodus chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, Moses, right after the visitation on Mount Sinai, is itemizing some laws that the children of Israel are to live by. And in chapter 21, verse 6, he is mentioning that if there is a servant serving an Israelite that wants to remain in that position the rest of his life, that owner of that servant or slave should bring him or her to the judges. Now, that's the way it's termed in most of your English Bibles, to the judges, and they will bore through his ear with an awl. And of course, that would be for the purpose of placing an ear ring that would signify that that person has committed himself or herself to that household, to that individual, as a servant in that household for the rest of their lives. And again, in your English Bibles, the word is judges. Bring them to the judges. These were men who were appointed in legal matters, who were very knowledgeable about the law of Moses and all the individual detailed laws that he gave, and they would make assessments in civil cases in religious cases, and administer judgment or what needed to be done in order to resolve an issue in people's lives. Then over in Exodus chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, it talks about a thief being discovered. And if he is discovered, and if someone does charge him with that crime or charge her with that crime, then that person should be brought to the judges and they will determine whether or not he or she is guilty of pilfering their neighbor's goods. And then in verse 9, it elaborates on that and uses the word judges two more times. But in the original Hebrew, the word that is translated judges in Exodus 21, 6 and Exodus 22, verses 8 and 9, four times now it is translated judges. It is the original Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is a very curious Hebrew word. It is a plural word, but the majority of times it is translated singular. It is translated into the word God. In fact, it's the fourth word in the Bible. In the beginning, God, or in our English Bibles, it is positioned as the fourth word. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. And yet it's translated in the singular, showing from the very start the triune nature or the plurality of the Godhead. There is absolutely one God. However, that God has expressed himself as 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three have relation among themselves and yet comprise the Godhead, absolutely one God. However, also it's important to note that even though Elohim is translated over 2,000 times into the word God, it is translated over 200 times into the word gods, small letter G-O-D-S. And it is used in reference to false gods, to idolatrous worship, to deities that are just manufactured by the imagination of men and women who create these stories about these false deities that are worshipped. So we see that the word Elohim is actually scripturally used in reference to men who administer the office of judges. Now, why would that be? Because God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the Elohim. In other words, God was saying in Psalm 82 that if people filling that office do their job correctly, that God will inspire them, inspiring them with the written word that gives the various directives about how Israelites were to live and how they should respond to sin and to negative situations. And also the judges would feel, I'm sure, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Not only did they have the word directing them, but the spirit of truth, though he did not dwell in the hearts of human beings until after the cross, the Holy Spirit was still among them. God was right there among the judges, among the Elohim, as they administered judgments based on the word of God among the Israelite people. However, according to Psalm 82, many had become corrupt. Many were insensitive to God. Many were not following the laws of truth themselves and certainly didn't care whether or not they were men of integrity in their office. So Psalm 82 is a rebuke. And it said, even though I have called you Elohim and the scripture cannot be broken, you've been referred to with this exalted term. It wasn't a deification of human beings. It was just granting them a status that was recognized as very, very respected. And he said, even though I have called you Elohim, you shall die as men. So God is not trying to prove their deity. Much the opposite, God is definitely proving their humanity. The fact that they are mere human beings that will live a certain short lifespan in this world compared to eternity and then will die. And so they aren't as exalted as they might be in their own minds because they have become prideful, arrogant, rebellious, and corrupt. Okay, so Jesus is referring back to that passage of Scripture when he said, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? Now, the word law is a reference to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Is it not written in your law, in the Torah, I said you are God's? Now, watch this wording very carefully in John chapter 10, as Jesus responds to his detractors. 
He says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Now that's an implication that in their office, the judges actually received rhema word from God, that God inspired them, that God directed them, just as he did Solomon. When Solomon filled the role of a judge, he had this incredible divine wisdom that would flow through him. Now, let's proceed in John chapter 10. If he called them Elohim, if he called them gods, translated judges in your English Bibles, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. So he was using that comparison to verify and validate his own claim to divinity. It was never intended as a blanket statement deifying the entire human race, and it certainly was not intended as a statement to the body of Christ, to the church, where we can claim this status of being gods ourselves. And many have read this passage, and without understanding the historical basis of it, they have jumped to the conclusion that Jesus was referring to us as gods because the word of God comes to us. Now, I understand where people are coming from who interpret it that way because, well, the logic is the offspring of horses are horses. The offspring of sheep are sheep. So logically, the offspring of God are, well, you fill in the blanks. I understand where they're coming from. And also, if you project this thing into the future, at the coming of the Lord, the Bible said, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, because this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible flesh must put on incorruption. And when we see him, John said, we shall be like him. That is such a far-reaching statement. We shall be like him? Well, what does that mean? If he is in a glorious state, a glorified body, and ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and he has made promises that are absolutely stupendous, he said, he that overcomes shall inherit all things, and in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he's washed us in his blood and has made us kings and priests, and we shall reign with him. So I understand this whole idea of the supposed spiritual DNA of God being transferred to us. And Peter definitely said that we have been made partakers of the divine nature by the exceeding great and precious promises that have been given to us. So there's evidence in scripture that your future is spectacular. My future as a believer in Jesus Christ is spectacular. However, let me balance it out by saying, I still do not think we have a legitimate claim to the bearing of this title. I am not gonna to refer to myself as a quote unquote God, certainly not a God in the sense of being worshiped. And I don't think born-again believers that claim that status intend that interpretation or intend that meaning. But I still think it's going beyond the original context 
for us to claim that as a title that rests upon the people of God. So I will never do that. And I will also never claim that those who interpret this passage are heretics and false prophets, which I've heard said in the past. Anyone I've ever heard reference this passage were lovers of God who were born again, who loved God, who were trying to rightfully divide the word of truth. So let's not jump on a bandwagon and talk fiercely against other brothers or sisters in the body of Christ. But let's be like the Bereans who humbly seek out the true meaning of any passage of scripture and then promote it with humility to other members of the body of Christ. Let's be quick to respect and love others and not quick to condemn and cut off. So there's much more that can be said, but I believe that's a good explanation of that passage. And if you want some more information, I actually have an article about that on my website, thetruelight.net. The truelight.net is a comparative religion website. I urge you to go there and inspect all the articles that are posted on that website that deal with important comparative religion issues. And shoot me an email and tell me what you think about this podcast. It's been a joy to be with you today. I pray that it's been informative and helpful and edifying. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.